You're listening to Youth and Loud, the show that's the show that's quiet about the trivial things, but loud about the important things. We discuss all issues relevant to youth. If you'd like to find out more about the show or have a topic idea, check us out on Facebook and give us a shout by searching Youth and Loud. On this episode, we continue our conversation with Matt Runnels and Darby Turnbull about managing suicidality and mental health. As well as this, we interview Dr. Joe Robinson, Head of Suicide Prevention Research at Origin. You mentioned before, Darby, about, I guess, the importance of being aware how you're physically uh, feeling and how your body responds or how your body um, reacts to things. Would you say that um, in the same way it's important to have a good sense of our our feelings and emotions, to be able to identify when we're feeling uh, up and when we're feeling down and whether or not we're feeling anxious or depressed, to be able to really recognise that and to name it and to stop and think, I'm actually feeling anxious here, I'm actually feeling depressed. For me, and this is something quite... Recent, I was thinking about this today in preparation for this um, this session that we're doing. Um, I was thinking about the shades of suicidality, and I was thinking about the different emotions that come with it. And I tried to whittle down elements of feeling suicidal, and whether there was a core emotion attached to that. For example, if I'm feeling like I can't do this anymore, like I can't face another day, I'm like going, "Well, that might mean I'm tired." You know, that might mean I'm just so tired that I need to sleep. If I'm anxious, if I'm terrified, if I feel like, you know, um, the air outside is poison, if I feel like I'm poison, that's when I know that I'm scared and I need to feel safe and either someone needs to help me feel safe or I need to do something to make myself feel safe. And that's, so I think going back, going back to your question, that it's the most important thing in the world to know about these things because this is the key part of your recovery. Like, I don't even like the word recovery. I call it like self exploration in a way like self-learning you know with self with with learning comes love comes understanding mm. understanding our emotions our, our control measures our intelligence around our thoughts and feelings and what we experience our behaviors not just going through something out here today whether that be stress whether that be having a fight with someone and having an argument and we go home and we sleep on it and we go sure i hope that doesn't happen tomorrow I'll wake up tomorrow, I'll sleep on it. How often do you hear people say that? I'll go to bed, or you'll, tomorrow's a new day. No. Self-reflect, work through that process. Whether it's your emotion or whether it's a situation that you've been in today. I don't call negative emotions negative emotions anymore. They're called to actions for me. So it's understanding there's something happens to me today and I feel stressed. I go home and I work through the process. Why was I feeling stressed? Think about that emotion, get curious about it. Can I accept it? Can I remove it? What's it actually trying to teach me? Because everything in that, everything that we go through in life is trying to craft us, craft us into the person we become. It's trying to teach us something. That might sound a bit weird or wacky, but that's everything that happened, has happened in my life has happened for an absolute reason. That's, it, and everything that will happen today and when I'm walking down the street or any emotion that I'll go through today is trying to teach me something. It's a call to action. It's a, a signal that something needs to change in my life so that I don't have to feel that same thing tomorrow. And through self-reflection and understanding every single night when I go home tonight and I'll do the same thing. If I had a negative emotion today, 
get curious about it. Can I accept it? Can I remove it? What caused it? Can I can I avoid it? Can I use it for my benefit? And how do we move forward and tick that off the list? So you're saying, Matt, that I guess uh, part of responding and part of, I guess, processing the emotions that we feel is about sitting with it. Um, so if you feel Owning a particular it. emotion, sit with it in yep. that place and explore it and yep. don't, I guess, ignore it or try and 100%. Um, keep walking but stay in that. It's happened for a reason. Whether it's someone that talks to you like shit or treats you poorly, that's not, oh, well, whoop-de-doo, hopefully it doesn't happen tomorrow. That's a, can I benefit from it? Again, get curious about what that individual... Or ask you, why did I feel that way when yes. they said that? Why, why, why was And what can response? I do to not feel like that again? Mm. And that's how I've got to this so consistent place of, of wellness this year is through self-reflection. Knowing what causes me to feel this way so that I can either avoid it or what causes my good days. I had a good day today. So what did I do today? And I'll list it out. And I'll see the correlations between my good days mm. and what I need to do more of to stay in that consistent place of a good day. Right. When I have a shit day and I have a bad experience, that there, bingo. When you know the problem, you can get rid of it. But if you don't sit there and work through the problem and, mm. and address it, it will keep reoccurring and you'll keep putting yourself through that same trauma and same situations over and over again. Yeah. And that comes back to self-worth and true value. If you sit there and go to bed of a night and don't deal with that emotion or how someone treated you, and you just want to sleep on it and wake up the next day, it's going to happen again. Self-worth for yourself. You don't deserve to be treated that way, so mm. don't just ignore it or brush it. Maybe that's the way you want to deal with it. But for me, it's not. But it's working through every single thing and acknowledging that they're trying to teach us something. It's, that's how we grow, mm. is from understanding what everything in life, every second minute of the day, and what it's trying to teach mm. us so we can grow from it. And that's how I've, I said before, I'm obsessed with growth. That's how I've stayed well for nine months this year. I rarely have a bad day. I'll have a bad time or hour, and you won't get much more out of me than that. You won't keep me down for longer than a day these t- the, yeah. this year. Whereas I used to be with the bipolar stuff and was really struggling. I'd be down and out for months at a time. Now, you can only have a day of me, max. I'm, yeah. And that's how you build the resilience, is working through it and addressing these issues and acknowledging that they are trying to teach you something. And is part of that mean um, that we can learn to respond better to similar situations which happen in the future. So if you go through something and um, emotionally your feelings um, might, for lack of better words, be, be negative, but if you process that and grow from that experience, the next time a similar experience happens, you can respond to it in a more healthier way. Correct, 100%. Mm. It's, as I said, I say this, I think I'm saying the same sentence over and over, but it's trying, to, it's trying to teach you something. So it's... I used to let people walk all over me for years and years and years, mm. and it's, I've got no doubt about it that that's the reason that I come crashing down. Mm. Now, someone treats me like shit out there today, they ain't getting away with it. I'll no, level, no longer let people walk all over me because mm. I have that self-worth for myself now. That's been the life lesson for me. Mm. I don't just brush it and let people walk all over me because yeah. I look where I ended and up self, from it. Self-confidence Work through as well, it. would you say? And because I've done the things that we've talked about over the last hour, it's built that self-worth and true belonging where I no longer let people talk to me like that because I know that I'm better than that. Sure. I don't deserve that and neither does anyone else. All too often I see people going home and they'll have a shit day or they'll, you know, we'll have 100,000 people inbox us on Mindful Oz this year. Same, 80% of them, same things all the time. People treat me like shit. Mum and dad don't understand what I'm experiencing. Mum and dad don't care. All these sorts of things. Things that we can't control. But what we can is our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviours right back. Yeah. and that's how we get through that's how I've got through everything I've beat or I say beat 
manage in recovery every single day, but depression, anxiety, sleep insomnia, bipolar disorder. I live in management every single day, a healthy, exciting, happy life because I self-reflect and work through the process. I don't ignore anything that goes on anymore because that's how it causes us trauma and grief. Like I said, it's a scar on the brain that will continue to be there, continue to cause you grief until you until you work that scarring out. Is part of that, I guess, um, learning to... Uh recognize what we accept and what we reject in terms of what people say to us um so if we're going through life and someone says something which is um, criticizing us or quite negative is learning to have an awareness that hang on a minute just because that person says that thing it doesn't mean it's true and Mm. i'm making the decision to not accept that Mm. i'm not accepting that lie that i'm um weird or that i'm a loser or whatever it is um i'm just not accepting that and i know that i'm worthy and i know that i'm uh a cool person and they have value and worth is that kind of thing part of I guess managing uh, mental health and 100% as I said it's whether it's an emotion or a situation it's get curious about it can I accept it can I remove it can I benefit from it can I grow from it action signal so what what one of those I'm going to use how I'm going to use it tick it off done Hmm. Um, stress that's a call to action that I need to start prioritising for my own wellness and maybe do some things for me instead of go to work for 14 hours a day in the office and stress myself out. Mm. My productivity is no good to anyone when I'm sitting in an office for 14 hours. Simple things like go, okay, I'm stressed. Don't sleep on it. I go home and go, all right, tomorrow I'm going to do two hours of self-care in the morning instead of two hours in the office. And mm. by doing that, my productivity and my work satisfaction is 100% better mm. because I've dealt with that emotion and that that situation and yeah. it's the same with anything that we go through mm. accept it get curious about it accept it grow from it benefit from it remove it um tick it off yeah. action signals put things into place and you'll start to see if you write down at the end of the day good day bad day and you go well this situation happened today you work through that situation you tick that situation off mm. you start to see the correlations between i've had two good days in a row and i've done this this and this the same as i did the next day you start to build your own blueprint as to what I need to do every single day mm. to having consistent, consistent days after days after days of wellness um, and exciting days because that's all that we deserve to have. Um, mm. You don't deserve to wake up every day feeling like shit. Mm. So, you know, you give all the information in the world to everyone, but, it, you know, what you do with it is, is really important. And um, we all possess the, the tools and techniques to, to work through all these sorts of um, emotions and behaviours that we go through every day. Mm. What are some things that uh, the family or friends can do to best support someone who might be struggling with suicide or may have recently attempted suicide? I'll just go quickly with, um, I think, you know, I talked about the reflex head nods and that before and I think that's the bare minimum. If someone in your network, and I say this aimed at every single person that's listening to this because there's not many people out there that have are not either directly or indirectly affected by mental illness in their networks we've got one in five people most people know someone that's struggling even if you don't i think it's an absolute it's imperative that we at least try and don't walk into the unbeknowns of and i'm guilty of this i lost it took me to lose several mates to suicide before i went shit i could be, be i could be being a better person i could try and incorporate some more things into my life to be able to deal help these people through their situations but it took me for to lose mates i don't want people to get to that point mental health first aid training assist training uh, safe talk training my parents now learn about bipolar and go away and, and and broaden their knowledge and education around what I experience and it helps me now having two people in my close network, my two 
number one people in the world that actually understand what I go through. Mm. That's, I talked about that reflex head nod that says, yeah, but I understand. But make that reflex, go the next step and make that reflex head nod authentic. And that's by just going and doing basic training and skills, um, you know, online courses or reading a book or something and understand what your loved one's going through mm. so that you can support them. It takes, a, you know, I always said the other day, a lady goes, oh, I would, my kids are struggling, blah, 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 blah. Um, what can I do? I said, oh, mental health first aid training would be a great thing for what you have just explained to me. And she goes, oh, I said, it's $220. And she goes, uh, it's a lot of money. I said, but I know, you know, financial things are a whole different ballgame, but I'm like, I don't think you can afford not to if you're telling me what you're telling me about what your son and daughter are experiencing in mm-hmm. suicidal crisis. I think the, the basic school skill set that you'll gain from doing these basic courses are imperative to, I guess, again, skill set to look after your, the people in your networks um, and yeah. understanding what you can do in each situation. Something really, really simple. Um, this is um, a time of disconnection. It's a tenuous disconnection because um, the work I do is all about connection. During this period, and it is a traumatic period, both for family and friends and both for the person, you're all sharing this experience. And I think part of this process is going to be how you reconnect and connect with this person during this and definitely hold space for your own feelings because uh, I think a lot of people have a tendency to shame, to blame, and to invalidate because that's what they're feeling. Like, they're feeling, like, really heightened emotions and as people, we are wont to project those emotions onto the person, onto another person. So, as Matt was saying before, hold space for those emotions and... Be honest with the person. It's about a connection. You know, you are both equal in this space. And it's okay that you are devastated because someone you love has just tried to hurt themselves. That That's normal. That's empathy. But go down to that core emotion. Really, really go down to it. What is it? This is, is it love? Is it fear? Is it concern? And I guess what you say, Darby, um, is holding that space and, and staying with the emotions in that space for the person, come back to some of the things that Matt was talking about before with the head nodding and with um, not being judgmental and empathy and and not giving advice and that kind of thing. Is that part of that holding that space for the person? Part of my job is, part of my job training was I do not give advice. Yeah, could be detrimental. Exactly. I reflect. Like, I tell them what my understanding of it is and they can correct me if they need to they can Mm. help deepen my understanding of their experience and I let them come to those answers and of course I will give them options but I won't give them advice I'll say well look you know um, in my experience this could work this could work this could work how does that sound to you Mm. you know exactly like how you respond to someone at that point in time is like the most important thing Mm. and if you're going to shame them you're going to blame them you have just iterated why they didn't want to be here in the first place Mm. because they felt like Yeah. yeah exactly I mean but, you know, sometimes having sort of someone outside of that experience, someone like a peer support worker, someone like a mental health educator, to sort of come into that space and look, go, look, you know what? I'm not as close to this situation as you are. I'm going to bring a different perspective. Yep. Get different ideas. Listen to this podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But there is. It's exactly that. You know, we laugh about listening to this podcast. But Australia, you know, I've toured the world doing what I do. Um, and I've seen, I've met, and I... Uh, collaborate and work with some of the best well-known figures and award-winners in this field of advocacy we but australia has the best organizations in the world it has the best mental health advocates in the world 
there is so many resources and people say there's not enough being done in Australia. There's we've got this again, we've got some of the best mental health advocates, organizations and structures and resources here in Australia than any other place in the world. I'll just give an example for me. Was, yeah. I needed to see people that I could relate to. So for me it was okay. Who in the world of advocacy through lived experiences goes through bipolar? Who goes through sleep insomnia? Go and learn from people that replicate. If I, if he can do it, I can do it. And that's mm. what I think we are as lived experience advocates. It just shows people, gives people that hope that, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm. And it's finding those people, finding these Facebook pages and listening to things like this, what reading blogs and seeing what people do that have managed and live well going through the same thing that I've just been diagnosed with. Go, go and educate yourself because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll off some names mm. right here who you know, people may or may not have seen. In the paper, Indigo Daya, consumer advocate, incredible woman, uh, Flick Gray, also a consumer advocate. You know, she's, um, an, you know, she's really uh, a huge advocate for open dialogue and intentional peer support. Um, Kath Roper, consumer academic, University of Melbourne. Like, yeah, these... No, I've got a, I'll, the, Joe, Joe, the, Joe Williams... Uh, the Resilience Project. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Hines over in America. You've got Inner Ninja Foundation in Perth. You've got Three Words in New South Wales. You've got the Rise Foundation in New South Wales. You've got Stay Chatty in Tasmania. Mary these, O'Hagan in New Zealand. Yeah, these are all lived experience advocates mm. that replicate and live and breathe what it takes to, to be well every single day and manage what we go through. If you felt concerned about anything you've heard tonight, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 26 38. Lifeline on 13 11 14. I guess there's probably going to be people who listen to this podcast who at the moment are going through a tough place in life. Um, they might be people who are contemplating suicide. They might be people who are going through a mental health challenge or depression or anxiety. What could you guys say to our listeners to give them a sense of hope and encouragement? I was talking about my... I wrote a blog the other night about my my experience with bipolar. And as you know, I've, I've got it in front of me now. And I, I was hoping that I'd get an opportunity to say this because I think it's a huge part for me. And I was glad I wrote about it the other night. And I was been thinking about doing it for a long time. But I've always said, how much receptive would a person be to treatment if the patient was told that the treatment was to nurture a gift they had within instead of numbing a disease they had? I, I just want people out there to know that whatever they're experiencing at the moment is, is, is crafting them into the person they're meant to be. Whatever difficult situation and challenge you're experiencing right now is going to make you a better person. You are loved, you are worthwhile, you are unique, and at the very least, I love that. Be kind to others, but most importantly, always just be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to branch out on that. You are so loved. You are not alone. You know, um, you've just listened to two people talk about their experiences. There's a whole community out there. You know, we are going to just get through this together, okay? It's a cliche, but it's so, so true. Everything in life is much easier done when we share the experience with someone else. I know we always say it, but reach out and find those people that replicate what it takes to be well. Find the people that are going to see you smile again because you're worth it. You're loved. You're worthwhile. Um, Yeah. We were never meant to go this journey alone. Yeah, we we weren't. That's it, yeah. And as caregivers, you know, at the very least, we are put here on our planet as the brothers and sisters keepers and for the betterment of others not ourselves so mm. everyone at house is listening out there that has someone that's going through something start using those unlimited amount of kindness compassion empathy support love and care that we all possess and, and start asking people to start engaging in these conversations bring down the walls of stigma shame embarrassment um, and start having beautiful and meaningful conversations with everyone 
uh, as I said, I, I'd love to do anything to bring my seven mates back and have that conversation with them. But that's that. That's what I'll hold for the rest of my life that I'll never be able to change. So. Beautiful. Uh, we'll need to end it there, unfortunately. But on behalf of uh, Youth and Loud, thank you so much, uh, Darby, and thank you so much, Matt, for joining us on the show. That was Matt Runnels and Darby Turnbull talking with us about managing mental health and suicidality. Up next, we chat to Joe Robinson, who is the head of suicide prevention research at Origin. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show, and it's a privilege to be talking to you tonight. Um, so, Joe, tell us a bit about what is involved in your work as the head of suicide prevention research for Origin. Um, well, thank you for having me. Um, so, we do a whole range of, of pieces of work, to be honest, that are all looking at they're all sort of centered around suicide prevention in young people. So we do, we've got a range of projects on the go and some good examples, probably some school-based work that we're doing where we have been evaluating the delivery of educational workshops to young people about suicide prevention. Okay. So in, in, in that sort of project, what we've got are people going in and teaching young people how to recognize when they might feel vulnerable themselves or when things mm. are getting too much. And how to help recognize that in their friends as well. And then what to do about it, what sorts of um, strategies they could use to help themselves feel a bit better or who to talk to if they're worried about themselves or a friend. So we've been doing some work along those lines. And we've been doing some work as well looking at social media and the way that that's used in suicide prevention or the potential it holds to be used in suicide prevention and what some of the strategies or what some of the benefits are um, in terms of delivering suicide prevention activities for young people via social media platforms. Um, so we've got a couple of projects like that on the go at the moment, which might be of interest to your listeners. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what are the things that you look at when you study uh, social media and, I guess, the impact that has on young people? What are you looking for? And, mm. I guess, in what way are you trying to, to use it? So in that particular project, what we were really looking for was the potential for, for social media to be used in suicide prevention. So what might some of the benefits be that social media platforms afford when it comes to reducing risk and preventing suicide in young people? Um, so what we did there was we really had a good look at the literature, the peer-reviewed literature and all the research evidence that talks about how social media are used for suicide prevention. And what we found is that young people like using social media for this sort of thing for all sorts of reasons. They find it very accessible. They like the fact that they can access support from other young people who have had similar experiences rather than necessarily from professionals. They like the fact that it's available 24 hours a day and they can access it in the middle of the night from the privacy of their own homes. So in that sense, it's, non, it's much less stigmatizing than seeking professional help is felt to be by young people. Yeah, imagine it would be, I guess, a little bit more um, comforting for young people to use social media as a, as a source of support um, rather than rocking up to a, a professional. That's right. Young people are probably the least frequent users of professional help when it comes to mental health problems across the population. So they really don't like coming to see GPs or psychologists and those sorts of things. Mm. They prefer talking to their friends and their family. But interestingly, when they do seek professional help, they find it more helpful than sometimes talking to friends or family. So it's a bit of an interesting kind of challenge, really. But I think some of the barriers to seeking help from professionals are really related to the stigma associated with mental illness, with seeking help and with suicide in this community. So it's the fear of being, you know, feeling embarrassed, the fear of being judged negatively that puts young people off seeking help. Mm. So where the Internet offers much more privacy, you can you can 
find support anonymously, which I think is very appealing. And you don't actually have to necessarily say how you're feeling out loud, which can be quite hard for some people. Um, and Joe, just going back to uh, the high school programs that you've developed as uh, suicide prevention programs, um, what have some of the responses been from students? So there's a couple of programs that we're doing with high schools. One is building on the social media work that we've done. So we've been working with a couple of high schools where we've gone in and done some educational workshops with young people talking about um, so providing some education around mental health and suicide prevention and help seeking and those sorts of things. And then what we've got them doing is developing some interventions or messages that can be delivered to other young people through social media. Right. So the idea really taps into the fact that young people like to seek help from other young people and they also like to help others. So we've got these groups of young people who we've provided some education to around suicide prevention and mental health. And now they're developing some interventions, some short films, some messages that could be delivered through various social media platforms like Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Wow. And the idea is that they're developed by young people for other young people. And we've been, it's been an interesting project. It's been a small project, but the students have really enjoyed it. They've really engaged well with it. And what we found, which is something we were, we were keen to look at, was that it's not harmful for young people to do these sorts of things. So there's been a big fear in our community, I think, about talking directly to young people about mental illness and about suicide prevention, particularly about suicide, because people are worried that by talking with young people, it will put ideas in their head and cause distress. And what we found with this project is young people actually really like the idea to do the idea that they can be part of something helpful for the other young people. So they found it very positive to be involved in and it hasn't caused distress and it hasn't induced suicidal ideation. So I think as a community, as long as we do it carefully, we can be much more confident in talking with each other about suicidal feelings or difficult emotions without feeling that we're going to, without going to cause harm. Yeah, I think that's really good. So what you're saying is one of the, the key components of the programs that you're doing in schools is to encourage young people to help other young people um, through social media. Absolutely. So this particular program, program is exactly that. And we know that young people like to seek help from other young people, but we also know, know they like to help each other. And that makes them feel better in and of itself. So we really are encouraging young people to find ways of communicating their feelings to each other, to recognize when one of their friends might, might be in trouble or might be struggling a little bit with, you know, day-to-day life, mm. and for them to feel better equipped in being able to ask them how they're going and being able to provide some support and then perhaps point them in the right direction for professional help. So what, um, what, what are some of those ways that I guess young people can recognize in their friends if they're feeling a bit down or um, they might be thinking about suicide? What are some of those signs that, that friends can be aware of? So one of the things, you know, we sort of say to people to look out for is if your friend is obviously looking or appearing to be more down or depressed or fed up than they usually are, perhaps they're more irritable than they than usually are, or particularly when they've withdrawn from the things that they enjoy. So if you've got a very sociable person who's generally well engaged at school, like socialising, and they, those sorts of activities start to drop off, so perhaps their grades drop, or perhaps they start withdrawing from their friends, they're not being quite as sociable as they, as they were previously, perhaps they're having trouble sleeping, or, or, or in fact the opposite, feeling tired all the time. Those are the sorts of indicators that actually somebody might not be travelling too well. Um, other things might be increasing use of alcohol or drugs, which young people tend to do sometimes to help manage difficult feelings. 
And what we would say to young people is that, you know, if you're worried about a friend, it's okay to ask them how they're feeling. Mm. And particularly if you're worried that they might be really depressed or they might be feeling suicide, mm. it's okay to sort of ask them how they're feeling. It, you won't put ideas in their head about raising that question. Yeah. And that's one of the messages we really like to get across to people and to young people and to professionals as well. But actually, you shouldn't be afraid to ask the question and don't be afraid that you have to have all the answers. Mm. So I think if you... If, a, if you ask a friend, if, you know, and sometimes we say, you know, a, a good way of asking that is, you know, you don't seem yourself at the moment. I'm a bit worried about you. Are you feeling okay? How are things going? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes when people feel really down, they feel like they don't want to be around anymore. So is that something you feel at times? So there's a, that's a sort of language that we might encourage people to use. And as I say, don't worry about asking those questions. It won't put ideas into people's heads. Mm. If people aren't feeling suicidal, they'll simply say no. But if they are, they'll probably be relieved that somebody's actually asked them. And in our experience, when you do ask the question just simply and directly and gently, people tend to feel able to be honest. So besides that, what else can a friend um, do at school or elsewhere to support their mates? Um, what, what kind of things can they keep in mind um, to, to support them and help them through a difficult time? Mm, I think it's important to, to just be there for a friend, to be willing to listen to not judge, to not freak out, but just be there for them. Often young people just say they just want their story, they just want somebody to listen to them, they just want their story to be heard mm. and their feelings to be heard. And sometimes it can be enough just to share your feelings. But the other thing that I would say is if a young person is really worried about a friend, then it's probably a good idea to help them find some support. Mm. So that might be taking them to the school council or, or, you know, working with them or trying to encourage them to go and see a school council or another trusted adult. So that might be a parent, it might be a relative, it might be a sports coach. Um, it might be a GP, you know, and other, there's other good sources of help out there. So you've got services like Headspace, which is specifically designed for young people. And you've also got lots of online supports as well for those people who do find it hard to talk about their feelings face to face. So there's some really good professionally run websites out there. So things like reachout.com, um, Beyond Blue have a youth forum, Kids Helpline and Lifeline both offer not just telephone services, but they also offer web chat services and and messaging services. So we'd encourage young people to, you know, help their friends find those sorts of sources of help. If you're particularly worried about somebody, the best thing you can do is help them get professional help. Mm. Um, I guess, what, what about in terms of, um, besides getting help from somewhere, someone else, is there things that young people can do to help themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So there are lots of things that young people can do to try and help themselves feel better. And it's a matter of having a think about what the sorts of things are that make you feel good when you are feeling down. One of the things that we tend to do when we feel down is stop doing the things that make us feel better. That's part of the problem. Um, so it is a matter of kind of trying to remember the things that you enjoy doing and will make you feel a bit better and trying to get some of, you know, go back to doing some of those activities. So really good things to do that, you know, young people say often to us is listening to music, playing music, going out for a walk, perhaps walking the dog doing some exercise, those sorts of things can generally kind of help people feel a bit better as well. Mm. Other self-help strategies would, would include relaxation techniques, you know, making sure you have some downtime, but also making sure you get good sleep and you're eating well and all of those sorts of things so that your life mm. is feeling nice and balanced. How, um, do, just in regards to the, the downtime, the, the downtime, how important is it for young people to put aside that time every day just to relax and to, to have for themselves? I think what's really important is that we all, that 
that young people have balance in their lives. And, you know, young people's lives, school, you know, schools can be, you know, stressful environments and those sorts of things. One of the downsides of social media is it, it, it encourages us to socialize all the time. Mm. So I think it is important for young people to be able to step back and have some time to themselves from time to time. Right. And whether that is just simply, you know, walking the dog or taking a little bit of time out for yourself, listening to music, playing music, those sorts of things, mm. just to have a little bit of reflective space in a day to kind of balance up the rest of everybody's hectic and busy schedules that we all live by. Mm. Um, well, Joe, your, your responses have been absolutely uh, fantastic, and I really think that the young people who listen to this show are going to be encouraged, and it's just provide some helpful suggestions of how they can help a friend, um, and it... And it in addition to that, help themselves as well if they are feeling down or um, considering suicide. Um, just wondering, is there anything else that you would like to say in relation to this topic? I might just say a couple of things. Um, I think the, one of the main times to be worried about a person, so a friend, you know, is when their behaviour is out of character for them and when those changes are sustained over kind of more than a week or two. So, you know, we all have good and bad days and we all have days where we might feel a bit low in mood. But the issue, you know, the, the time to become concerned is when our behavioural changes or when young people's behaviour changes and those changes are sustained over a reasonably long period of time. Right. And that's when you might start to become a little bit concerned. And the other thing probably to say is that, you know, if a young person is worried or if you're worried that one of your friends might be hurting themselves on purpose, it's also okay to ask about that. I think there's still a really strong myth around self-harm that people are just attention-seeking, and in fact, that's not the case. It's almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, people feel suicidal or they engage in self-harm for lots of really complicated reasons, mm -hmm. and generally it's because they feel very unhappy. But those behaviours should always be taken seriously, and if you're not sure what to do, you should always talk to an adult that you feel able to trust. That brings us to the end of this episode of Youth and Loud. If you felt concerned about anything you've heard tonight, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 26 38. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thanks heaps for listening to the show, and we'll catch you next time on Youth and Loud. <laughs>